1: welcome to the crunch i am your boy pa- i don't usually do the first part
2: so <laughs> i don't it's your boy patrick Wait. and i'm father anthony <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's right ethan you're
1: finding out i'm not gonna tell him about this i'm just gonna wait for him to post it <laughs> good, good good that's right folks father anthony podcast today for those of you who don't know father anthony is the co-host of the, uh, the podcast, Clerically Speaking, they mm-hmm. recently came back from their uh, – they, they had their much-anticipated return from their hiatus. How long were you guys on break?
2: We were on break for, like, what, seven weeks? Something really? Like that. It was a while, I think. That's a long time. Yeah, now we have a reduced uh, recording schedule, so we release an episode every two weeks now. And that has to keep me and Father Harrison sane.
1: That makes sense. Yes. I, 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 Father Harrison texted us recently because we we've kind of been on a forced – break Mm -hmm. um just because ethan and i both happened to be going through two large job moves at the same time yeah that's the thing and um we we, it kind of surprised us not because it was surprising that this was happening but because we're not good at planning things and right right when this happened father harrison texted us i don't know if he told you but he texted us both a couple days ago hey it's okay to take breaks (laughs) and i was like i i immediately went into my hype beast mindset and i was like nope (laughs) <laughs> nope. The rest is for the week. <laughs> we put a podcast up every week except for Christmas of 2016 and we're mm-hmm. gonna keep going. We're gonna keep going. Um but yeah, I've I've been considering what a break would look like, but I don't I don't I don't know. I it enjoy like, doing this too much. Yeah,
2: yeah. It looks a lot like recording a podcast except you don't do that. Oh. So just imagine recording a podcast except not and You boom. mean conversations? Yeah. Got it. Yeah, it's just like you have regular <laughs> conversations with people and not turning my friends
1: into content.
2: Right. Like uh, right now. I mean, basically <laughs> if you, a friendship is just a podcast you don't record. Yes.
1: I um the reason I had to introduce you, I don't know if you know this, but apparently in interview etiquette, you're supposed to introduce people okay. and not assume that people know who you're interviewing. Um, I've made that mistake several times during my tenure as a podcaster. Yeah, uh, assuming that people knew who Mark Hart was, and my mother in law listening, and she's like, "Who's this guy?" And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> who, who's this guy? Is Mark Hart guy? He
2: thinks who's he this? knows who? the bibble. <laughs> What's difficult. he up to?" <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm glad you followed etiquette, but uh, if people don't know who I am, then that's just really <laughs> embarrassing for them. That's <laughs> just really like uncomfortable. I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, it's good that they're caught up now. And, yeah. Uh, I guess to learn more about me as we go along. That's fair. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's awkward for them. Mm.
1: What is, I I don't I don't exactly know how to introduce you to people who don't know you, so I'm going to do the unetiquity thing and ask you to describe yourself to the audience.
2: I am Father Anthony Sharapa. I am 32 years old. I've been a priest for almost five years in the Diocese of Pittsburgh. Former employer of Patrick Nevy, a <laughs> podcaster as well. Used to be famous on Twitter, but then that was terrible for my soul, so I stopped being famous on Twitter, and uh, I do pre stuff, and uh, I guess I do a, a fairly decent job, all things considered. I would agree. Yeah, I would definitely say that's the
1: case. Yeah. Um, so anyway, because because you've been so gracious to replace my co-host, I, I need I need to I need to let you know this up front. Mm. Um, we're doing everything. Everything. Yeah, we're doing everything that we usually do. Wait, wait, wait. Um, are we going to do uh, Father Anthony's dating corner? <laughs> we are indeed, and the only reason that I w- <laughs> the only reason that this is important is because you have told me that you skip that part of the podcast. I do every time, and so I I think it's important for us that you go through at least one Doctor Ethan slash Father
2: Anthony's dating corner. I mean, can you blame me though? Why would I ever listen to that?
1: <laughs> you gotta you gotta keep up to date with what what's going on in the kids heads you know you know
2: what's going on in the kids heads a bunch of nonsense patrick <laughs> it's not don't get me wrong if they talk to me i'm very pastoral but i'm not pastoral on the podcast it's ridiculous it's always a bunch of nonsense and the advice is to stop being silly you silly My, silly person i'm very
1: excited um I'm very excited. I'm going to pick a random question because I think uh, the, the thing that I, until until we started getting uh, sponsored by Catholic Match, um, uh-huh. we we did not have very many questions. And so what I would do is I would go on the Catholic dating subreddit uh, and it it's it's awful. It's awful in there. <laughs> I mean, Reddit's bad in general, but right. it's like people are like, um, is it a sin to hold hands? And I'm like, you're actually a meme. You're a yeah. living, walking, breathing meme. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, we're doing everything. So, from the from the get go, we're going to get into the Hot Take Time Machine. Hot
0: Take Time Machine.
2: Welcome to the Hot Take Time Machine. Wait, do you want to say the lines? Welcome to the Hot Take Time Machine, where we go back to the prime of our posting careers uh if you have uh tweets or posts uh five years older send them to uh patrick nevy uh uh find a carrier pigeon and then just clip it staple <laughs> it to the pigeon's face and say go find my friend patrick and that's how that's how mail works
1: all pigeons know me um mm-hmm. you did about as well as ethan does during that so yeah uh do you have a hot take for
2: us father anthony i do so i had throughout seminary career for eight years i had Uh, No social media. Before that, I think the last social media I had was uh, AOL Instant Messenger, so I am old. (laughs) But after I joined a parish, I uh, had to get a Facebook, begrudgingly, because that's what the youths used, I guess, five years ago. So I do technically have a hot take from about five years ago. And this is from December 18th, 2016. Things they don't teach you in seminary. How to hold in a burp while reverently praying the Eucharistic prayer. 35 different emoji things. I don't understand how Facebook works. Five comments. Um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, I got to learn a lot on the job as a priest. Things yeah, you this was roughly
1: about. five years ago. So this is like right out the gate.
2: This is basically right out the gate. This is my first uh, winter as a priest, basically. And um, <laughs> like stuff like when you're holding your hands out in the Oron's position while you're praying, what happens if your nose is really itchy? What happens if you are literally playing, praying the words of institution and you have a burp? You just have to focus. <laughs> you just focus in, and God gives you that grace, and you power through. Now, uh, one of the nice things about COVID has been that uh, I don't have to watch out for my facial expressions because they were covered. Mm-hmm. You know, I still can't roll my eyes, but I could yawn, no problem, and it was it was kind of a relief. But now I have to refocus, get myself together, look priestly. <laughs> and pretend I'm not a human being for like 45 to 50 minutes during Mass. Um, These are but, things you don't consider yeah. as a layperson. <laughs> no, no, you <laughs> don't because you're selfish. <laughs> you just go to Mass and expect everything to be hunky-dory uh, while I'm doing the real work of trying to hold in a burp because I had a leftover sandwich for breakfast at 7 o'clock in the morning and it's messed with my tummy.
1: Catholic, Catholic Twitter in 2012 was all like, Oh my gosh, trying to not fart during Communion when it's like fathers up there trying to hold in a burp and that's much more obvious and It's awkward. much
2: more obvious. Everyone's looking at me, not you. <laughs> There's enough people in the pews. You can you can as long as you like lean a little bit for that fart, you can blame it on someone else. No problem.
1: Absolutely. As long as it's not a wooden pew, you're fine. Yes. It's a it's a that's a tough one. This it is. is not from experience. <laughs> <laughs> really? It
2: was real specific.
1: <laughs> uh, so um my my tweet no, my, not my tweet. My Facebook post comes from uh, 20, 2013. Um, and so th- this is <laughs> this comes straight out of my woundedness. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, you can you can tell my drama teacher likes you by how she grades you. If she really likes you, it's obviously theater. So you're not going to get a B. You know that would be that would be insane. Yeah. Um, you can if you don't t- if you turn everything in. So uh, if she really likes you, get straight 100s. <laughs> <laughs> I found this out after complaining to a friend about how I was like, I don't understand why my drama, why ex drama teacher, uh, doesn't give 100s. And she was like, she gives me 100s. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, I have straight 100s. And I'm like, I have straight 97s. <laughs> I noticed it with,
2: <laughs> I was like this is suspicious. Cause what's, Cause, what's the difference in theater between a 97 and a 100? Uh, like it's what?
1: obviously spite. <laughs> it's obviously spite. I don't know what it was because I was like I was like wow, she gives a 97 for everything. I was like maybe she just feels like a 100 is too is too much. Right. But I went to my friend Lily and she's like no, I get straight 100s and it's like at that point if you're going to give someone straight A's for no reason like just because it's theater and it's a throwaway class
2: yeah. you might as well give 100s. Okay, question. Yes. What would an assignment look like in a theater class?
1: <laughs> so, I remember we had to like memorize and perform a monologue. Oh, okay. Uh, and and do stuff like that. So, in in theater, we would have like the weekly assignment and the assignment would be a scene or a um like a a, a writing thing. So we like Uh, maybe on friday we we would have to like do an improv thing and so during the week you're with your group and you're practicing every period um that kind of stuff was really fun Mm. that that happened more in um we had a new drama teacher my last year and she would do stuff like that like super creative stuff she even let me do a a stand-up comedy workshop for one week oh that's because that was when i started doing stand-up and so i was like teaching people how to write jokes nice yeah (laughs) okay do you want to know a secret
2: Yes. I was also a theater boy back in no, the I day. No, I knew. I think I knew that. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, I remember, I do remember, I think I took a theater class, and it was like a throwaway class, like you said. All I remember is that our teacher was this insane lady who wore a clownish amount of makeup. And the only <laughs> assignment I remember is that we had to make a, a stage. But yeah, I did uh, uh, an independent show with some of my classmates uh, and uh, did a few theater things myself. And I was uh, not good. <laughs> but one of the few guys who did it. So I would always get a part, which was nice.
1: That that was that was part of it for me. It, for, if you were in the theater class, it was easier for you to get a lead in the musical. That's kind of what, that was kind of gotcha. the, the unspoken rule of mm-hmm. like, if you're, yeah. And there was theater one, two, three, four, but if you got a lead your first year, you had to skip all the way to theater four and do that all three years. And I oh, almost didn't make it. I almost didn't make it. It would have wounded me even deeper.
2: I believe it. But, I mean, I, I would have no doubt that you would make it to theater for Patrick. You're so You're right. ex- expressive. I'm
1: so <laughs> dramatic. The reason
2: why, the reason, so my, my my middle
1: school drama teacher hyped me up, okay? And I came in with a great reputation preceding me, and then I just axed it. I just Oof. destroyed it. Because I found out the musical for that year was Susical, and my reaction was, ugh, you're kidding me. And so the teacher was very upset that I said that in front of her. I had already done Seussical twice before. And, I was, and I'm like, I'm 14 and I've done this show for one-seventh of my life. I was very upset. And I was like, I'm going to do it again. I'm 15. I've done Susical three times. That means that out of the 15 years of my life, I've been doing Susical for a third of those, a fifth of those years.
2: Listen, I am a 14 year old man and I have grown <laughs> beyond the Susical musical. <laughs> I demand to be treated with respect. <laughs> I demand to do a real high school musical, like high school musical.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
2: The rights so to that yes, are probably too expensive.
1: There's a lot of woundedness from my. <laughs> from Listen, my theater, theater is where
2: dude. wounded kids go to pretend they're not themselves.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Wee woo illegal. You
1: cannot say this. <laughs> I did. Doing theater was really interesting though because it, my this one this one teacher would very much typecast you as like this is who you are as a person and so you're gonna play this part in the play. Yeah. But we had to do this is why those independent workshop things were so fun because. We did a student direction workshop where the seniors directed the the underclassmen. We did, a, me and my friend Duel did, I had a friend named Duel, mm-hmm. uh, we did a play called Red, which is like a story of the artist Rothko, who was like very angry and intense and his like young uh, intern mm-hmm. and his young interns like all bright and happy. And then my friend Duel was very much like angry and loud. Yeah. And they had us play the opposite. Oh,
2: person. that's fun.
1: <laughs> so I had to be angry and pissed off and Duel had to be like bright eyed and bushy tailed. And it was, it was tough i believe it i believe it i was like no you i'm mad and i want to paint (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah but i I think it's time for us to get into the topic so i'm gonna play the topic bumper i don't know if we actually have bumpers wait no
2: no no no. don't you uh isn't this crunch on that don't you have to sing us a little song i'm never i'm i I, listen this is my (laughs) podcast now Okay, is. I have, I, have,
1: I'm not going to do it unless Ethan makes
2: me. You know, I, I come on this podcast as a favor to you. I am a priest, <laughs> uh, and I'm used to being disrespected. Let's be honest, you know, so that's okay. But I, I mean, did I expect more from you, Patrick? I did, but that's my fault. That's Fire my me! Fault.
1: Fire me! Go ahead, <laughs> do it. <laughs> You can do it now. Go ahead. I'll take. The, I'll take the unemployment. Apparently, it's great now. No, no, no,
2: no. Like I'm. I'm merciful. I understand that uh, you don't feel like offering your gifts and talents. Um, like I said, disappointed. But I'll just pray for you more.
1: That's okay. Oh, I feel so guilty. <laughs> My Irish Catholicism is coming out. Okay. Let's see. Um, uh, why don't you crunch on that? Give me some crunch, and then crunch on that. I feel like a Parks and Rec. That was
2: beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. (laughs) Way to step up. (laughs) Thank you.
1: I'm a regular Wayne Brady over here with my (laughs) improvisational music skills. Man, that man could sing. All right, so I give you a choice of two two topics. Yes. And you chose, I believe, the former of the two that I have not yet listed because I'm saving that other one for a possible solo cast in the future. But uh, you and I have talked about this in the past, Mm -hmm. and I have – Uh, juggled this idea around for that for that book and so i would like you to explain because this is kind of your thing that you mentioned on on clerically speaking once yeah the concept of bachelorhood
2: yeah let's do this so uh we're not talking about a state of life where you are a single male that's very boring and not a good topic everyone in a certain sense every dude in a certain sense is a bachelor in their life we're talking about a different understanding of bachelorhood which makes them a much more interesting topic, and so I would consider, in the context of a priest, one of the things we were warned about is a bachelorhood priesthood, mm-hmm. and where, because it's very easy uh, as a priest, because I mean, if you you can make your own schedule, there's not a lot of people who can tell you what to do. You don't make a lot of money, but you don't you have a lot of expendable income in the sense that you know you don't have a lot of stuff to pay for either. Yeah. So it can be very Tesla, easy, but you can, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it can be very easy to fall into a kind of bachelorhood where the priesthood becomes very selfish, where you are very uh, covetous of your own time, where you can just kind of hide out in your room or just go out to restaurants all the time, avoiding your ministry, or focusing on yourself. So that's where it's come up in my brain as well. But this is something that I think can affect any guy, uh, where their life ends up being lived purely for themselves. They refuse to give themselves to anything higher than themselves. Um, so you can be a single guy and live a bachelor life, or you can be a single guy and not live that life. Also, you can be a married person and live that life, which is super dangerous.
1: I think this that, like, it's, it kind of encapsulates that, that cliche that you hear that's a very true cliche is, like, Oh, I don't want to be a priest because I don't want to be lonely. Well, you know, sometimes married people are lonely too, even in a marriage. Yeah, That's something that I heard all the time in discernment school. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the school of discernment. Yeah, it's something that I hear in the confessional pretty often. It's a very real thing.
1: Yeah, and so like it. This, I, I, I feel like bachelorhood is part and parcel. Like this, this, um, this idea or like this attitude of bachelorhood is something that facilitates that loneliness because eventually if a priest were to go down that road of just living a life kind of for themselves it's certainly easier for a priest to do it i feel like a married person can do it with relative ease not as much not as easy as a priest but they can do it by like escaping into their job or etc etc the end of that road is loneliness Mm -hmm. the end of that road is sometimes grave grave sin and so like what are the What are like the telltale signs of someone who has that bachelor mindset?
2: Yeah. And I think, I mean, we're speaking of this from a perspective that we know as dudes, but I think there's a kind of immaturity and selfishness that while it has a particular expression in guys, I don't think it's necessarily limited to it, but that's all I feel comfortable saying. I'm just gonna go from my perspective. Does that all make sense? Yes, that does make sense. And we are not a whammon. No. Okay,
1: and so we can speak from what bachelorhood looks like for men, but not necessarily for women. But I think the the, the corollary does exist.
2: Yeah, I, I yeah. mean, just because I mean, sin is sin, and humans are humans. Uh, yeah. We just we just do things slightly differently. Yeah, because, there's, uh, there's
1: no such thing as like man sin, masculine sin, and feminine right. sin. I feel like that's a contradiction of terms. But yeah, yeah. so
2: we'll yeah. Okay, so it's it's growing up is not simply a biological process. Like I think, just I mean, anecdotally, we all know people who can physically make babies but are still children, right? Emotionally, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sometimes intellectually or whatever. Uh, and a child, it's excusable in a child because the world is literally all about them, right? Yeah. Because they're helpless and dumb. Um, like babies, <laughs> they're super cute, love them a bunch, but not not protective members of society. They, no. they can't get a job. <laughs> Yeah. Right, <laughs> they're very small and they have no money <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so that's okay for a baby and like part of what a parent does is train your child to become an adult and that does require training okay what does it mean to be a man or to be a woman is to be able to give yourself to something other than yourself uh, so you go from the whole world revolves around me and I get the toys I want, and I don't like sharing, to realizing, oh, I am a very small and even insignificant in a certain sense, part of this world, to going to the fact that, like, my life can only be fully lived if I give myself to others. This is the John Paul II law of the sort of thing. Yeah. So we see this in a, in a kind of basic way, often in high school and college. Everyone does this. Uh, I still have occasionally done this. I try not to. But you get invited to a thing, mm-hmm. like a party or go see a movie or hang out with somebody and it sounds like a good idea but you're not quite aware if there are better things to do that will come along <laughs> so you you don't give yourself wholeheartedly to this one thing you're like oh maybe i'll show up maybe i won't maybe i'll just play video games all day instead because you know um in a life, life like that you you give yourself every single option but in doing so you are enslaved to every option mm-hmm. you don't get to go all in The exciting part about poker is when you go all in. Mm -hmm. There's a risk in it, but that's also where the fun is, right? It's kind of like the same thing in life, except more serious. You need to get to a point in your adult life, whatever vocation that is, where you're like, this is what I'm giving my life for. And that's when you become an adult, when you start Mm -hmm. living for others, whether that be in religious life or priesthood or in marriage. Your life is no longer about you. And yes, you, by doing that, you say no to a lot of things, but it's in order that you can give a complete and full yes to something. That all makes sense? Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of The Crunch.
1: Sorry to interrupt what I'm sure is a stimulating intellectual conversation, but
2: I wanted to pause the episode real quick to let you hear from some of our sponsors. We will be back right after this.
1: Yes it does. It re- it reminds me so I don't know where this Chesterton quote came from or Probably if it Chesterton. even is a Chesterton quote. Like what what book it was in. That's what Okay. <laughs> he talks about how it's like it's a good thing to get stuck. Okay, you know? yeah. Catholic Match asked me to write an article about why it's not good to cohabitate before marriage from a secular perspective. Yeah. And that was one of my arguments was this like Uh, If you're cohabitating, you're in a relationship, you just happen to be living together, you're not stuck in any way. You're not, like, committed in any way. Exactly. And that commitment helps your marriage. So, like, not having that commitment hurts your relationship if you're also trying to live together at the same time.
2: Right, because when you're just living together, there's always an out. Mm -hmm. And when there's an out, when there's not a commitment, uh, to borrow uh, Father Harrison, uh, my podcasting partner, love demands a vow. Mm Mm-hmm. Because without that vow, without that complete yes, there's always going to be a doubt, a lack of trust, uh, a lack of commitment. Your life is always going to be lived selfishly. So even uh, a lot of people cohabitate because they genuinely care for this other person. They, they think that this is the next step. They don't think they're doing anything wrong. Yeah. But at its core, no matter what your intentions are, your actions, your interior commitment has not been fully made to that other person and that can breed all kinds of like subconscious doubts and distress and fear, will this work? won't this work? The thing about the idea of Catholic marriage is once you do it it's done. Yeah. So that changes how you approach problems. It's not like, will this work or won't work? It's how are we going to make this work? That's a fundamentally different approach to life. <laughs> it was a- it was actually
1: kind of funny cuz like Phoebe and I were talking about that uh before we got married where it was like she was like she was like it it's interesting all of the all of the like uncertainty that i had before the engagement before the wedding is like gone yeah because it's like i mean what what are we going to do <laughs> it, it's almost it's almost this like this like holy resignation of like well i'm here i might as well do something with this and it's like i mean obviously we don't feel like we're stuck in mm-hmm. a bad way in our marriage you know we're if we're in a fight you know it's like well i'm i'm stuck to this person Yes. So it's in my best interest, in even in my selfish best interest, yeah, to reconcile <laughs> and <laughs> and like you know re- reestablish the like the the relationship and like heal the wounds et cetera. And it's like in in fights in cohabiting marriages, regardless of in cohabiting relationships, regardless of how mentally committed you are to the person, there is always that reality of like I mean our lease is up in
2: two months. Yeah. And this is also that being stuck, if you will, uh, that is what causes a human being to grow. So you have an argument, or maybe it's even kind of a fundamental argument with, with your spouse. Um, the only way to go through that is to enter into a place of vulnerability, of deep communication, of facing stuff in your life that you were able to avoid as a bachelor. Now you have to deal with it. And in a healthy marriage, you deal with it. And it can take a long time. There can be different sort of seasons. It can be very difficult. But nothing, nothing forms a bond of love whether that's in a friendship, uh, in a community or in a marriage where you're able to sit in the tension of your disagreements and not run away. That is a deep act of love because the act of selfishness is when you get into that uncomfortable place of confrontation, of disagreement, the selfish thing, the bachelor thing to do is to run away because before you could. And so that's what you see in a lot of marriages that, well, you live in the same house, interiorly you have run away, either from yourself or the other person. But to be able to sit in that, to suffer through that, and to eventually resolve it, and however it gets resolved, that builds trust and love and uh, vulnerability. That's what makes you into a saint, mm-hmm. by going all in and let.
1: And so like like we said, bachelorhood is not just something that is lived by single men mm-hmm. it's also something that can be lived by you know priests and men and yeah married men etc and, and women etc cetera, etc cetera. uh so that means the corollary that i said corollary twice in this podcast the opposite is also true then that just because you are technically a bachelor
2: doesn't mean you have to be one okay this is the exciting part yeah so how do you live that life out patrick when yeah. you haven't given your vow you haven't given your yes you're a single dude you're discerning maybe you're dating. How do you do that? <laughs> so this is the this is where I
1: wanted to move the topic of the book because I think that I think that the idea of Brotherhood that like got me so excited, the answer is Brotherhood that I, if you listen to the podcast at all in the past couple of months, you probably knew this, saw that saw it coming. What got me so excited about Brotherhood was it was a tangible concept to attach what i what I loved talking about in my like restoring Eden thesis and all that stuff of like this is what this is what masculinity lived out. Looks like, but it needed like an enemy, you know, it needed like a big bad, yeah. <laughs> um, just like because there, there's like the drama of like, and, and these are these are I, I noticed this because these are the books that I love to read, like that, even the nonfiction books of like uh Cal Newport's books, right? He's like, uh, digital minimalism, right? The enemy is in his, his books are split into two parts. One is like, here's why, here's how we're doing things and why it's bad, here's the good thing, right? Um, and so I'm like, okay, cool, Bachelorhood. This is what it does. These are all the bad things that it relates to. I do want to talk about like the negative effects of bachelorhood in a second. But then once we're like done talking about that big bad in the second part, it's like, and here's what brotherhood is and how you can actually do it. And for me, brotherhood is like the, is the exact opposite. It's, it's committing to people, even though you don't have to. So it's like, it's the opposite of bachelorhood, which is, you know, not committing to people when you should. Yeah. It's committing to people even when you don't have to in the same way that like when you work out, you're lifting weights you don't have to so that when you (laughs) do have to, you can. Or fasting, you're abstaining from, you're avoiding temptations that you don't have to avoid so that when you have to avoid temptations, you can. Um, And so like committing yourself to certain things uh, when you don't have to, like your friendships (laughs) helps you commit to people you should commit to, like your wife or your parish.
2: Yeah, my, uh, my brother, before he, uh, producer Nick, before he was married to our producer Riley, um, they their identities are bond to my podcast forever and ever. <laughs> uh, he, he very consciously tried to live this out. And the way he did it is, okay, he's a bachelor. He has a Saturday afternoon to himself. If one of his friends needs help moving or cleaning their house or doing something, as soon as he gets that call, he sees that his time is free, he would make a conscious effort to say yes. This is what I'm doing. I will give myself to this moment.
1: Mm-hmm. You
2: don't have a whole person to give yourself to yet, but you can practice by giving yourself fully to that moment, even if it's something that's not super fun. Like no yeah. one likes helping people move or <laughs> do it. That's stuff almost or...
1: like that's almost like the quintessential bad thing, like yeah. a, a, an annoying thing, especially if you have yes. a truck.
2: <laughs> that is that is the a, a classic conflict in any sitcom: the moving or doing something. You know? Yeah. Um, Pivot.
1: That was a friend's yeah. reference. You, oh, that, I don't. That's I don't what. Know. That's what you people watched, right? Like the millennials. No, no, so that's no, what you guys. I, watched. I
2: don't watch uh, bad or sinful shows. So, uh, <laughs> that's, I'm that's very good. I literally only watch EWTN uh, and pray the rosary. <laughs> um, that's I'm sorry. All. I thought you
1: said you didn't watch sinful shows. Anyway, um...
2: <laughs> <laughs> take that EWTN. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> We're it coming the for man. you. You yeah. didn't
1: give us a TV show. You didn't give us a sitcom like we asked. Anyway. So yeah, giving yourself to the moment. I when the practical steps that I put together for brotherhood. Actually, no. no, no let's talk about like what bachelorhood can lead to. Like have you yeah. have you cuz like like I said, we need a villain. Right? <laughs> like there needs to be a villain. And I feel yeah. like the villain might not be we don't know that he wants to eliminate half of the planet yet, right? Right. And so, what does bachelorhood lead to? Like do you have any like horror stories of people you've seen become total bachelors, anonymous?
2: Bachelorhood leads to death. Interesting. Because it's the opposite of it, it is the opposite of life. When you are constantly keeping your options open but never committing to them, when your sole concern is yourself and your own time, that's hell. That leads to a deep kind of loneliness. Uh, We have it in our very being to be a gift. I mean, we exist as a gift. You were not Mm -hmm. thrown into existence. You were not an accident. You were gifted into existence by God. And so in order to fulfill our very being, you have to eventually give yourself to somebody. And so, yeah, I mean, this is why a lot of, uh, not all, but this is why a lot of priests will end up leaving the priesthood if they do. It's because they... Never really committed to their parish, uh, they weren't appropriately vulnerable, and that that can be a very tricky thing as a priest. That takes practice and training and mentorship. But they never gave themselves to their ministry, and more and more time was taken away from them. And then one day they look around and like, "What is my life? Mm. What am I doing?" I'm I'm saying one thing with the promises I've made, but I'm living a totally different thing, and that contradiction like rips a soul apart. Yeah, you not being who you are. That is a terrible place to, to live in. And so there's frustration, there's depression, there's a deep loneliness, and it, it leads to a spiritual kind of death. Prayer will fade away. usually the first thing that fades away. But so will the rest of your relationships, things that you enjoyed before, and all of your coping mechanisms that at one point in time you enjoyed now become just numbing effects, whether that be uh, alcohol, nicotine, other drugs, uh, even simple stuff like video games or the TV or... Uh, whatever your personal hobbies are, instead of them being things that you enjoy, now they rule over you because mm. you're constantly avoiding that bad tension, that dichotomy, that contradiction of your very being. Mm-hmm. And so more and more, you just need to dive into things to distract yourself from the fact that you aren't who you're supposed to be. Yeah. And so uh, instead of looking inward and trying to fix that, what's going on, our natural temptation is to look outwards, so I should leave. This is the person who's always dating and and just jumping from relationship to relationship no matter where they are interiorly. The married person who's only hanging out with friends, never with uh, his or her spouse or, or kids. This is the priest that is shut away in his rectory all the time. You never see him because they're running uh, from this existential angst in their soul. Mm-hmm. And that's not fun. <laughs>
1: no, it's not. And it seems like there's a there's a like there's a hierarchy of goods and it seems like this
2: is an inversion
1: of that hierarchy, right? Yeah. Where it's like you said prayer fades away first, then your relationships, and then all that's left are the coping mechanisms. I mean, yeah. that sounds like, you know, we should be putting our soul first and then like our our spiritually spiritually relational life second, like the yeah. the the intersection of our spirit and our body. Mm-hmm. And then our body. But when we neglect the first thing we neglect our spirit, we eventually start to like cling to those spiritual f- physical friendships mm-hmm. and then those eventually go away and then we just are left with the physical and those things rule over us very easily. yeah, there are, yeah it it seems like it, it seems like bachelorhood and like the deterioration of the person are very yeah. are very well, connected.
2: You, you stop being a human being. yeah, we go back to our animalistic state, the thing that makes humans nifty. <laughs> is that we are this weird um, combination of of body and soul. We are a bridge between, in a sense, between the creator and creation. Every human being, by virtue of being human, is a kind of priest, this bridge, this uh, intermediary. So if you strip away that which is spiritual, you become less human. You become more like an animal, just acting off of either instincts or... Based desires, things that aren't bad in themselves, but need to be ruled over mm-hmm. by our spirit. So yeah, you you stop looking and functioning like a human. You become a little mole person in your room, and you don't clean your room, and you have a bunch of shoes and books on the floor, and uh and and uh never mind uh, uh that's uh oh everything's fine everything's fine I think
1: you're good you're just describing a room to me <laughs> That's true. i'm just a little bit messy <laughs> but yeah
2: you you stop being a human being
1: yeah this, this is funny because like I, I have a friend from long ago who like joked to me one time about he's like oh yeah like i know these things will destroy me but like i'm just gonna keep doing it and yeah. i was like that's a special kind of of corrupted but it's like he he's one of those friends that like you know when you're really catholic in high school and then you're like oh this guy will reach out to me in like 20 years when he he hates his life he did the other day he reached out to me and he was like hey i'm not fulfilled in my life like (laughs) what can you like pray for me or something i'm like yeah yeah but you know like you can change this like it's in your power to change this to just like you know start re reintegrating the spiritual side of yourself um and you know what honestly like the bachelorhood goes far beyond individual consequences. Mm-hmm. It's, it's systemic. It's almost like it, it's almost foundational to the way we think today is like individualistic, very physical. There's really no recognition of the spiritual, even in spiritual things like education. Yeah. There's not really a spiritual aspect. It's merely just the physical. And there is this attitude of like, I'm just going to do what's best for me. And as long as you as long as I don't interfere with what's best for you, we're good. And it's and that is hyper bachelorhood,
2: yeah. And I mean, you you pointed out another side effect that the guy who said, "I know this won't fulfill me, but I don't care," that's acedia. when you lose the ability to even desire the good. Mm. That's one of the uh, deadly sins. We usually talk about it as sloth in the West, but that's that's what that is. And also, I think it's important to point out sometimes we have days or weeks of bachelorhood. It's not you know we have moments of yeah. I mean, you know, it's much like a sin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where it you know? happens and then it stops happening. Right, exactly. And sometimes what you need is, and this is why the Lord sometimes allows this, is for us, like, hey, Lord, I really want to eat from this pile of garbage. And Lord's like, uh, are you sure? We're like, yeah, I'm really sure. It's like, well, OK, <laughs> tell me how that works out for you. And then like we hit rock bottom. And sometimes that's the only thing that kind of wakes us up. It's better <laughs> to not hit rock bottom, <laughs> yeah, but sometimes that's what we need, and it begin like so this can the problem with human beings is that we're very complicated, so I think anyone listening can can see some of the stuff we're describing as you know it it can make connections to anxiety, it can make connections to depression, and so it's very easy to talk about a a concept in this general sense, um but each person is going through a particular thing. I think yeah. it's important to note. doing it begin like with any kind of growing in virtue. It begins with something small with making a small unselfish decision. And that's going to be very hard at first. But the thing is getting back to the good guy is that when you give yourself to the moment, to a spouse, to religious order, that is when you begin to become human and feel alive. And it's, it's the thing that sometimes I get annoyed at, Where um, people are like, just uh, go to a soup kitchen because you'll feel better. It's like, that's not the best reason to go to a soup kitchen. (laughs) But there's something true about that. Yeah. You can say objectively, this should not be something life-giving, right? I am doing work for people that uh, are not like me and this is uncomfortable. But there's even a cultural uh, recognition that like, no, there's something good about that. They're, They're getting close to, they're tapping into a deep spiritual truth in those things.
1: Yeah, so it, seem, it seems like the, the solution is to like slowly reintroduce the spiritual. Yeah. Like make a small unselfish decision. Like right now, the uh, the, the second section of the book is split up into chapters that I'm not very happy with. But <laughs> it's just like it, the, the idea is like create a rule of life, like a rule of brotherhood for yourself mm-hmm. um, and like give yourself to that. So it's like I have this external thing that I've created that, you know, I can I can commit to. Um, and it slowly integrates the spiritual back in. So it's like, it starts with the physical, like, hey, just go work out with people. Yeah. You know, like, just go go do something physical with people. And then it slowly moves into, like, spiritual and then uh, community, uh, giving yourself to community. But I like the idea of, like, making small, unselfish decisions little by little uh, until you are, like, used to it n- naturally, right? Like, something that something that Phoebe has pointed out about me that I didn't realize until i got married this is a lot of a lot of people a lot of a lot of people make boomer jokes about how it's like oh i didn't know how much i sucked until i got married um i didn't know how virtuous i was until i got married um i didn't know i didn't know the extent of my virtue until i got married <laughs> or the extent of my unvirtue right it's like it, yes marriage has also revealed those parts but like phoebe is very quick to point out and i highly recommend this i highly recommend this kind of spouse she's very quick to point out like I can't believe how patient you are with me or like, I mm. can't believe how like ready you are to just go clean and, and do this for other people. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done that if I were you in that situation. And if, like, I, I feel like unselfishness is something that the, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not bragging about this because it's literally like, it's just something that is a habit and it's something that I was taught when I was young and it's something that I was continuously brought up to do. And so if you, if you have, it's just like anything, it's just like working out. It's just like, you know, eating right. It's if you have those habits, it becomes your default because our brains are silly. They're very (laughs) dumb. And it's St. Francis had this like carrot and stick analogy of like his body is like a donkey. You know, sometimes it needs a little comfort. You know, sometimes it needs a little, little discipline, you know, but it'll go where you want it to go if you treat it right. And so it's like. the same with like our base our base instincts you know it's like if we if we train our instincts and our like the dumb side of our brain to to do things well when we're not paying attention then we'll become better people Uh, i think that's i think that's at the heart of brotherhood is like realizing hey do this now before you have to (laughs) yeah Uh, but
2: one question keeps popping in my head please uh, this is this is all very good. It's got some some roots in good old fashioned Christian ideas of virtue and habit and that sort of thing. But what makes this different than just some self help program? Ah, this is this is a good point. What 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 about Jesus? <laughs> How does the this look different in the life of a Christian?
1: Yeah, I think the, one of the one of the biggest things that I want to put in the book, but I was told it's probably not the best idea is Uh, that until the incarnation brotherhood was not an eternal concept. mm. Like fatherhood has existed as an immortal idea, right? Sonship. So like filiation and and all that stuff has, it has existed, right? Like the idea of being a father and a son, right? And love those things like God, that, that is God, right? But in the incarnation, Now brotherhood has been elevated to the level of the Trinity, right? Like someone, our brother Christ is in the Trinity right now and it always was, right? But like God became our brother. And so like there is something, there is something self-helpy about this because it's so human because brotherhood is so human. That's what the incarnation was. Brotherhood was a purely human concept until the incarnation and now it's a divine concept. And that says something about, like, elevating the human into the divine. Through being a good human being, we are becoming more like Christ. And once we get there, we become
2: more like God, right? So it's... Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. And the the thing that keeps coming to me is when Jesus says that, uh, I no longer call you slaves, but friends. I mean, because I think you can draw easy parallels between brotherhood and friendship. When God chose to reveal his love for us, one of the words he liked using was friendship. There's something about that that I think is important. I mean, I'm sure it's there somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) We just got to mine it a little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But also, I think it's important to realize that we can only love because we were loved first. We learn to love others, our spouse, parish, community, friends. And we learn to love them in a deeper way the more we accept the love that Christ has first given us. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, one of my favorite lines I do in... in, uh, and whether it was your wedding homily or other people's wedding homilies, is that on the there's no room for bachelorhood on the cross. There, Christ is completely vulnerable, completely committed, opening himself completely, pouring out his life for us. That is what it truly means to be human and divine. That's what Christ does. It's important to remember that like the more we accept God's love for us, the more we want to give God's love to other people. That's what impels us to make good friendships to reach out to the poor Um, because it's not so much that like we try really hard to be virtuous. Ideally how it works is that we are so overflowing with God's love that it's not like we're impelled, but we just have so much to give that we want to give that becomes the energy, the movements that's real Christian maturity. There's a good human maturity in wanting to give yourself to others to make commitments. But the, the um, Christian maturity manhood womanhood is this overflowing of love that's the energy that impels us to give ourselves to the moment that's what i wanted to say
1: yeah i I, and and like the in the thing that this is originally based on right like i wanted to get this all started because i wanted to figure out what masculinity was because i was tired of i was tired of um books
2: be a man and watch braveheart and punch a rock yeah
1: and it's funny because it's like it's like that that was a that was a script of masculinity right where it's like hoorah you know big Mm. i don't want to be i don't want to be like hoorah's a thing from the military i don't want to be mean to them, but it's like we don't don't, like masculinity of like you know the big strong boys yes and then there's the reaction against that yes where it's like "No, no 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 masculinity is whatever we want it to be yeah you know and it's like well that can't be true you know where it's like oh being a man just means being like really really virtuous right i didn't like that either no because turns women out- are also supposed to be really really <laughs>
3: virtuous yeah
1: <laughs> and and so like that that was like that was like an un that just didn't that just didn't do it for me right and it's like literally my first my first Steubenville men's men's talk the guy did this thing called chuck norris the game and it was like very like yeah uh, William Wallace wouldn't watch porn. It's like that, you know. That was the men's talk. It's like No, but uh, he would
2: uh just sleep with a random woman. He would do that. Yeah, he did that. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and so and then and I'm
1: like the the women's talk was like just Taylor Swift and friendship bracelets. I think that actually was exactly what it was. I don't think I'm exaggerating. Yeah. But It's like, it's like those cliches and the reaction against it. It's like, there needs to be a common ground. I don't know where I heard this from, but like the, the most masculine phrase in scripture is this is my body given for you. Yeah. And then the most feminine phrase is let it be done to me according to thy word. Like Mm -hmm. these are, these are, these are our orientations towards God. These are, these are the, not each other towards God. These are these are the the fundamental orientations that like that Adam and Eve didn't didn't say. These are the words that Adam and Eve didn't say. Like right, like there are inversions no. of this. Yeah, I, I've gotten in trouble for talking about that before, but I think it's because I, I I said it and people assumed I was talking about woman saying that to a man and then a man saying that to a woman. That's not that's not it at all. It's fundamentally my body is my whole self is given for God and then. Femininity is like her whole body is given for God, but there's a difference in the phrasing, right? It's like there's this there's this kind of like self there's this kind of like self actual there's like this moving outward for in in Christ phrase and there's this moving inward for femininity and like there's like moving back and forth.
2: See, anyway. this is this is really important though because we need to stop pretending like masculinity and femininity are very simple understandable things because like even those two <laughs> phrases they are similar but different yeah. right you know uh, a virtuous man a virtuous woman they both need to be virtuous but that's probably going to look a little different and then in each particular man in each particular woman it's, it's going to look different and bringing nuance to this discussion even if we're stumbling through it right now <laughs> kind of clumsily <laughs> yeah which is okay this is i mean this is uh, something that we're trying to rediscover so we realize in the culture that there's A misunderstanding of what femininity is and a misunderstanding of what masculinity is. Uh, Women feel wounds from this. Men feel wounds from this. We act out of those wounds in different ways. Mm -hmm. And then you have people trying to fix it and writing books like, *Wild they're hard or whatever else. And it's like you recognize the problem, but you're still working from the cultural mindset you were brought up in.
1: Yeah, you're trying to fix the you're you're trying to you're trying to fix the Titanic by making it one shell bigger. You know, it's like that's not that wasn't the problem with the boat.
2: (laughs) Yes, exactly. So, like, I mean, for example, um, there's a group of women uh, that I uh, very much respect that uh, they were tired of going to women's talks and women's conferences and being told that they were all princesses. They're Like, that's nice. But we also struggle with sin and we want to pray better. And we're more (laughs) than that. And so they formed their own women's conference and started doing this themselves. I was like, yes, good. That's right. As long as we're we're willing to give each other a little bit mercy and realize that we're both uh, struggling through this and that we all have our own woundedness. uh, It's important to track because even like as we're talking about brotherhood, I'm thinking about friendship. I'm thinking about corollaries to the, the feminine in this as well. These things are mysterious and nuanced, but also real. Mm -hmm. they're not just whatever you want them to be and that's what makes that's what makes it difficult yeah good luck good luck with your book is what i'm saying
1: (laughs) well that that's not even a topic that i'm really going into in the book i originally wanted to write that book but they they told me that a different publisher told me that i couldn't because i'm not both a man and a woman and i was like what Mm -hmm. if i got a co-writer and then i got one and then they still said no um (laughs) (laughs) and, and i think it's because like establishing a Solid framework through which to view masculinity and femininity mm-hmm. and to understand those realities in a way that's like practical is two different books, first of yeah. all. Yeah, yeah, sure. And second of all, it's like that's such a project. It's not something that a 20 year old can just t- do, you know? Mm-hmm. And but like the more that I sit here and think about it, it's like, is that something that a 30, 40, 50, 60 year old would be able to do? Because like we are fundamentally both of us missing pieces of this mm. i i'll say both of us in terms of you and me and men and women because it's like it's like there's there's jesus made everything harder because <laughs> now because <laughs> now there's fundamentally different ways of expressing and living out masculinity well right Yeah. because now there's because like in in the beginning it was just like Go do that. You know, like, go get married. Like, if if you weren't supposed to get married, God had to literally open the sky and tell you, like, Jeremiah, be like, hey, don't take a wife. And it was for a very specific historical reason, not for holiness purposes. Yeah. Whereas now it's like consecrated celibacy adds a whole other layer of complexity because now masculinity and femininity are not merely for each other. They're also for God, which makes it much more complicated. Yeah. But it also makes it much more freeing because now it means, oh, these things are important. Yeah, These aren't just like, oh, we th- th- these functions of, of humanity are not just like our tummies or our skeletal <laughs> systems. Like these things are important. They reveal who God is somehow. And so we should focus on this, which is why I'm torn. Because it's like, yeah, it's a really difficult thing. But like it's necessary to talk about because theology, the, John Paul II didn't touch it. He he talked about, he did Mulieris Dignitatem, right? Like he did the dignity of woman, right? Mm. But he didn't go into complementarity.
2: No, I think he he builds a foundation yeah. and a worldview where that conversation can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he touched on it a little bit, but I think there's a lot to be. I mean, we've I think we've both understood that there is a problem with many common interpretations of what he has said. Oh uh, yes,
1: yeah. I'm but, not saying he didn't understand it. I'm just saying yes. he died too soon. I know he died very old. I'm saying he died <laughs> too soon. <laughs> much like much like Thomas. He didn't, he wasn't done, (laughs) you know, I, I am still working. I'm a theory guy. We all know this. If you're listening to the podcast for the first time, what's up? I'm a theory guy. (laughs) You know, I, I, I try the practicals, but it's like, it doesn't come, it doesn't come naturally to me. So like, that's, that's the, that's the tough thing that I want to work on. It's like, and I did, I did try throughout quarantine. I I actually was like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do interviews. I'm just going to interview people. I interviewed a guy from the Philippines who started his own, uh, like men's group, um, and now it's like this huge virtual men's group. I started, I, I interviewed a uh, former MLB baseball player. He played for the pirates, the diamondbacks and the Yankees. And I talked to him about like the differences between those franchises and like the community among those men. He like had his second conversion in the diamondbacks locker room because they were like having a Bible study before one of their games. Wow. Yeah. And he was like, it was much different than the Yankees. And I was like, yeah. And I, <laughs> I like, it's like, cause the, the diamondbacks were not, uh, not a very great team at the time, but like they had community Whereas the Yankees were a fantastic team of individuals, you know, where yeah. and so that, that was the analogy of like every man on that team, roughly most of the men on that team, were like seeking their own, you know, stats. Yeah. Whereas the Diamondbacks, they were like playing with each other and like for each other.
2: Listen, if you're trying to give me another reason to hate the Yankees, then I'm already on board.
1: It's it, it, it hating the Yankees is a tradition older than baseball
2: itself. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> I really appreciate you talking to me about this. Good. I had fun. I love. I love doing podcasts where I can just show up and say whatever. It, that's, on it, that's the sweet
1: spot. That's what I do every week.
2: Well, I mean, our podcast we hold ourselves to higher standards. But that's yes.
1: Again. No. This is important. This is our brand. This is our brand. <laughs> we thought it was a bigger market, but it's a brand. <laughs>
2: yeah. Tell
1: your friends about our podcast. Now we must. We've come to the end of our topic section, and we have to hit up Doctor Ethan's dating corner slash Father Anthony's dating corner. Um, Father Anthony's
2: hospital chaplaincy. How about that? This is this is Father Anthony's discernment corner. <laughs> this is this is what this is.
1: The answer to every question is begum priest.
2: Begum priest. Ah, I, I know it hurts. I'm sorry. sorry. This this not, I, 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 I... All right, you came to the right place, you ding dong. It's called communication, baby. <laughs>
1: Oh, here we go. This is great. This is great. Okay. I added this new thing on the uh, on the questionnaire where I, ge- I asked them to give a short summary of the question, which has mm-hmm. been such a good idea because I can quickly sift through the topics. So the question is, should I ask someone on a date if they are discerning religious life? Hello, Dr. Ethan, Professor Patrick, and Father Anthony. Call me by my confirmation name for purposes of easy reference. Maximilian. We're going to call him Max. Okay. Max. Max. My question is, is it all right to ask someone on a date that is discerning religious life? I've met two very nice and attractive young women that I would be interested in asking them out on a date. However, both are discerning to be Carmelites. Uh, We'll call them Edith and Teresa. Uh, Edith is only one year younger than me. Nice. And uh, she seems to be really set on being a Carmelite. Teresa is five years older and doesn't seem that set on it. Should I let them discern... Without my intrusion, or should I just go for it? Also, is a five-year age gap a concern? I'm 21 for reference. Thanks, Max.
2: What do you think, Father Anthony? No, don't ask either of them. Out. <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's tough because a lot of people don't know what discernment is, right? Um, I, uh, and this is even among priests. I remember when I was uh, committed to going to seminary, but I was also in high school and stupid. Right, And I, you know, still in high school, know I'm going to seminary, want to go to prom, like this girl, might as well date her until I go to seminary. Right? Wrong! Incorrect. Very wrong. Incorrect. Right? So learn from my mistakes. Um, But like, I even had a priest who told me, yeah, don't worry about it. Ah. Uh, Yeah, right? Okay. So here's the deal. So when we say we're discerning, what do we actually mean by that? Um, Are we... You can only really discern one thing at a time. You can't discern both religious life and marriage. You have to pick one. Okay. Um, Some people say that they're discerning religious life when what they really mean is I'm just considering religious life Mm -hmm. or I see the attractiveness of it. Okay. Because that is so complicated, whenever anyone says I'm discerning this or discerning that, no matter what they mean, I think you need to give that the reverence it deserves and just say no, no. Um, so you think that they're serious or you're not quite sure if they're serious either way. No,
1: cause you don't know what's going on
2: because it's not fair to you. It's not fair to them. Okay. I know they're very pretty and that's, you know, that's a real thing. (laughs) That's a good thing, but no, um, as far as age difference, um, that sort of thing matters less and less, especially as you get older, five years is not that big a deal. Um, my parents are actually seven years apart. Um, that, didn't affect and doesn't affect anything, you know? Um, so, I mean, at, at a certain point, does it matter? Yeah. Um, <laughs> certain. Uh, yeah, right, right. You're 21, so, five, five years
1: in the other direction
2: is a problem. <laughs> right. It also depends on the personal maturity of each person, you know? Um, some people are more mature when they're younger. Some people aren't. So it's less of just a number thing and more of, you know, the personal maturity of each person. So that needs to be taken on a case by case basis. But uh, yeah, yeah, if if they're talking about discerning religious life, um, then for your sake and for theirs, time to find another fish.
1: I think this is wisdom. I'm really glad that we had a discernment question because
2: yeah. Also, women aren't fish. That was a that was an expression <laughs> that now I regret using. They are all individual daughters of God. They are beautiful and should be respected. Unlike fish, <laughs> <laughs> fish are stupid, and they're not even smart enough to breathe outside of water, and they make delicious fish, fish sticks. And that, They're completely different than what they're, just... they're the opposite. It's a terrible phrase. You're I feel like... ashamed for using it. I'm ashamed as a human being that it's a common phrase. Let it be known here on The Crunch that women are not fish.
1: I just love how like quick you came out swinging against it because you're like, <laughs> women are great. They are nice. They are lovely. Unlike fish <laughs> fish suck yeah i would love it if you worked that into everyday conversation like uh, sir how are you enjoying your ribeye steak here at the crane room um oh it's lovely i it's very delicious um it's it's juicy unlike fish <laughs> fish are dry except when they're in the ocean which doesn't make any sense okay that's all i have <laughs> good do you want to do one more or is the discernment one
2: enough for you? I would love. I could do as many as you throw. Great.
1: Okay. I want to save some for the pod, but um sure. for for Ethan cuz Dr. Ethan, you know, this it's his thing. Um yeah, Dr. Ethan's fired. Yeah, Keep really. Going. Okay. Let me let me flip through this again real quick. Uh oh no, okay. Here we go. This is this is great. This is another one that could be very priesty. Short summary, I am a third wheel. All my friends are dating each other. I'm single and going on a dating fast. Please console me in the single life and grant advice for how to be friends with friends who are couples. Uh, I'm female, single, and graduating from college this week. I want to date, but I'll be a focus missionary in May. So dating fast, sigh. I have become more okay with being single going into the dating fast. Ever since my neighbor asked me out on my first date, it was a good date, but I was not interested at all. I said, no, thank you to a second date, Uh, but all my friends have begun to date each other now and I feel left out. Maybe this is just a kind of situation where you say, girl, suck it up and move on. There's a nice long year long dating fast coming up. And this is the perfect situation to allow you to grow in your relationship with the Lord. But I'm also kind of butthurt about no longer being relevant to my friends. I've had trouble before with being a third wheel and with friends and couples, but now I'm really scared that I'm going to lose some really good friends. Uh, while I'm off doing missionary stuff and they're off at college being all coupley, I fear being forgotten. I know the reality of couples growing deeply together because, you know, marriage and stuff, two or three of the couples are getting engaged, but can a single woman still be best friends with someone who is married? IDK, I just need help managing this transitional time and knowing I can still maintain friendships while I'm a missionary. Thank you.
2: Okay. First, let's take a step back to Max. I want, I did not do this and I should have done this. Max, it's a difficult situation and it's tough. Okay, I'm not I'm not trying to make it everything sound very simple, right? That's that's a tough place to be. It's okay. No,
1: it's right. important. We lose one or two listeners every time we doctorate in Ethan's dating corner. That's important. Right. You don't need to I be was nice.
2: treating you Max, I apologize. I was treating you as a topic and as a person. That was not <laughs> my intention. Seriously, seriously. <laughs> yeah, okay? yeah, I understand. Um so uh, life's tough and sometimes really pretty ladies want to join a religious life and you know that it's okay that that's a bit of a bummer for you. Okay. So, uh on this pastoral note, which is genuinely genuine, um I'm not going to say uh, just suck it up because
3: that is hard.
2: Yeah. That is difficult, you know, and it's okay to be sad about that. Okay. Um, so a-, a few things, a few things. Um, this is actually a good opportunity to say yes to the moment. The fact that uh, you're you, when you're in focus, you're not supposed to date. Um, you can go through that kicking and screaming, which is our natural inclination. And don't get me wrong, an understandable one. Or this is your opportunity to give yourself wholly to this moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's also very good, in a sense, practice even for married life. Where there are times in the married uh, life where there's um, times where different kinds of... um, uh, uh, It's important to have control of your own feelings and emotions and learn what they are. And this is an opportunity to do that. Okay? So they're all real. They're all very heavy. And that is okay. Um, So... Take a moment to mourn. That's good. But I would encourage you to throw yourself into this wholeheartedly. Like, this is what's going to happen. This is who I'm going to be. Because it's very tough to live your life wondering. God's will is always in the moment. So accept the moment for what it is. Okay. As far as being like relevant and stuff, um, I had this story. uh, Good friends of mine got married. And I was like, "Ah, I want to give them space. I want to leave them. And then like a month or two passed by, called my friend up. And she's like, Nobody talked to us. We were so lonely because <laughs> all of our friends wanted to give us space. <laughs> I miss my friends, right? <laughs> Friendship is an important part of the married life as well. Yeah. So it depends on the couple and what's going on. Um, but uh, very much so, it's important for uh, married couples to look outward as well as inward. Uh, that, you know, having a friend over, like in my experience, married couples love that. Uh, it's an opportunity to kind of break out of whatever's going on uh, in the house. It can be refreshing and a good thing. Um, So, you know, like anything else, it depends on the couple and what's going on. But, uh, you know, I my my married friends are so grateful for the friends I have with married couples and single people. Um, That's an important part of community. Um, And especially for a mature, uh, emotionally mature married couple, Um, that's an important part of being a human being. So you will not be forgotten. You will not be lost by your good friends. Um, so take courage. You'll be okay. It's okay to mourn, uh, but throw yourself into this. Like you said, this is an opportunity for you to grow closer to God. And here's the thing. God, Jesus Christ is always especially close to those who feel alone because there was no lonelier person on this earth than Jesus Christ. Even his closest friends, either abandoned him because they didn't know or because of their sin. Christ always has to move from moment to moment, relying on the Father's will. Um, And so Christ will always be especially close to those who suffer in loneliness. So if you have those lonely moments, God is inviting you into a particular kind of relationship with him for this time and take advantage of it. Because if you don't, you'll regret it. God is going to bring you closer to his heart through this and you'll be a better person.
1: Thank you Father Anthony
2: my pleasure
1: that was good I'm I'm sure I'm sure the people enjoyed Father Anthony's hospital chaplaincy um, I'll, get, <laughs> I'll get these I'll get that to our bumper guy and he'll make a bumper real quick uh, his turnaround time is like two hours so yeah um, shout out shout out Reagan uh, or is it Regan anyway I don't remember um I forgot, wow. I, I, I he, he corrected me on the pronunciation and I think I said it wrong and he corrected me and I can't remember which way I said it wrong I owe him a text. Hey Ray, this, Ray, this. I'm
2: sorry you're not appreciated. That that the people you work for don't even know your name. I feel awful. If you worked for, just so you know, if you worked for me, which you won't, uh, <laughs> I would I would at least know your name. Yeah, they already have a bumper
1: guy. Sorry. Yeah, we got a guy. Yeah, you got a guy. Uh, anyway, thank you so much, Father Anthony, for coming on the podcast. Uh, for For those of you who are not on the podcast, I'm real sorry. It's a huge shame, um, but you're here listening to the podcast, which is the second best thing. For those for those of you who are not already a part of the Facebook group. Uh, because you've been waiting for a sign from God. Um, consider this your sign. Not that I'm God. I'm just uh, really
2: good friends. With hey, them. I'm a priest. Oh. I'm going to tell you, join that Facebook group. If you have a Facebook and you're not joining this group, why even have a Facebook? This is awful. the only redeeming community on Facebook. For real. Is The Crunch. And you should join it. Absolutely. Do it for yourself. Facebook.
1: You Facebook.com slash groups slash The cast. Okay. The the link is in the description. Um Go to the dot com to buy shirts and stickers if you want. Um uh, Patreon.com slash thecrunch, crunch, all those good things. Uh you're only supposed to do one call to action per episode, but we do three, which is why no one does any of them. All right. <laughs> um thank you all for uh for for sticking with us despite our really bad uh social media. What is it? Um what's that called? Uh uh Absence yes our social media absence and our inability to optimize the way that we get you through our sales funnel um our (laughs) non-existent sales funnel thank you all for listening please pray for us we'll be praying for you and we will see you all next week
2: I forgot to do. Uh, I forgot to do a bit. Welcome to the Crunch, the only podcast that uh, fires the laity. Uh, no, that's not how work uh, Welcome to the Crunchcast, the only podcast sponsored by Perrier lemon flavored carbonated water. Or, um, welcome to the Crunchcast, the only podcast where. Um, man, this is harder than it looks.
3: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.